put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. It's the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Young, old, professional, amateur. You never miss a day of practice, or perhaps you're coming back to rediscover the joy you once knew playing your horn. For those who love and are fascinated with this crazy mass of metal tubing that no one can seem to master, or is at least wise enough to not admit it if they have, this show covers all of the trumpet dynamics. Everybody, welcome to the show. This is James Newcomb coming into your earballs, and I am just uh, delighted to have on the show today. Uh, I'm going to see how I, I was just given the correct pronunciation, and so this is the Americans who was raised in Minnesota, now lives in Virginia. The attempt at a Flemish Belgian name, Jeroen Bervarts. That's pretty close, I'd say. Really. Yeah, Jeroen, yeah. Jeroen. Yeah. Okay, so it's, uh, it's not bad for one. <laughs> like nice to meet you. <laughs> my first lesson, like two seconds ago, was not bad. Okay, I'll take it. Well, I'm glad to have you here, dude. Well, nice to be here. And uh, it's just one of those things where it was just, um, I think, uh, you played with Canadian Brass a while ago, didn't you? Well, that's now you can say a long while ago, Very, yeah. <laughs> I think, because I followed them over the years, and I think I... S- I saw your name. It was a very brief tenure with them. Well, I, I only did like the European. I did one U.S. tour. Uh-huh. It must have been something like 2006, something yeah. like that. My son was not born too for too long. So during a period of I think three years, mm-hmm. I did just one U.S. tour and then the European tours, which they had. We had a trumpet team at that time. Yes, yes, with, yes. With Joe uh, Manon was there. It was fun. It was uh, fun. So, I mean, that's that's how I heard of you. And then I saw your name on Facebook and superstar, Jeroen. Let's, let's reach out to the star trumpeter. Because <laughs> it's, always, it's always a little nerve-wracking to see someone who has, has a little bit of celebrity status. And you reach out to them on Facebook. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, I don't know. But no, I'm serious because when you play with a high high quality group like the Canadian Brass, you have a bit of a celebrity status. Maybe. <laughs> Who am I to say? But a lot has happened since then. I mean, yes, it's, it's like it, my life yes. has turned like two times upside down <laughs> since that time. Yeah, yeah, I think we can all say that. Say the same thing in the last 15 years. Well, I, I always, um, anytime I have someone on the show, I always want to know. Because every, everybody's story is a little different. What, what got you interested in the trumpet in the first place? How old were you? Well, well actually, I mean, Canadian brass was a part of that, actually. Um, I come from um, an area in Belgium, in Flanders, where you have a lot of wind bands, brass bands, um, symphonic wind bands, um, a lot of these kind of orchestras with, I mean, I must say, quite high-level uh amateur uh, brass playing or wind playing. Uh, most of uh, Belgian and 
Dutch brass players uh, come from these bands. They've, they were raised in, 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 in these bands musically. Actually, the area where I played, in one village, we had three bands. That was the Socialists, the Liberals, and the Christian Democrats. They all had a band. And in the time of my my parents, you were not allowed to talk with the other group. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it really had the <laughs> Romeo and Julia stories where where you had a, a little couple going on and, and, and from from the Liberals. So a band would be like tied to a like a political ideology? Exactly. Really? Which, I mean, I think after that, we went on to a more equalized society. And maybe now in the last few years, we went back in that direction. Okay. But yeah, this this is the area where I musically come from. So my father played in one of these bands. Uh-huh. He played a, at that time the euphonium. And he brought home a trumpet. And he just mm. told me to spit in the thing. And that's what I did. Spit in the thing. Yeah, and then I started um, in a music school, actually, um, with a horn teacher, which after that I'm, I'm very grateful for. So, first of all, I was very small. I was seven seven years old. Um, well, eight when I then officially started in the music school, and I was quite small. So, I changed to the cornet, mm. having lessons from a horn player. So, that's where actually my first sound ID started. So not that typical trumpety sound, uh, more of a warm, around, uh, I was almost going to say horny approach, but that will be inappropriate, of course. Um, yeah, more, more of a warm, round, cornet sound approach. That's where the base of my, of my sound idea, because I think, I mean, a lot of our playing is still connected to your imaginative sound and, and, and that is influenced by everything you have lived, and that was a very big influence. So cornet being taught by a horn french horn player yeah yeah that's that's rather unique fantastic teacher for example Guido Segers principal trumpet of the Munich Philharmonic Orchestra mm-hmm. um, he also started with the same music teacher at really? a very young age yeah what is this teacher's name uh, Maurice van Mechelen unfortunately he passed Ooh. away two years ago amazing teacher really amazing teacher what's your first memory like the first lesson that you recall from this teacher? I have many memories. I don't remember even my first lesson. I remember that we had a little book, a very small book, maybe five centimeters wide and five uh, centimeters high. And there'd be a description of the lesson. So what I'd have to learn. And then a marking, excellent, very good, good, sufficient, or not sufficient. I mean, I was just waiting for this cross at the excellent after every lesson. And if that would not be there, oh, my God, I'd go home and, 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 and practice. And, you know, he was that kind of teacher that did it, in my opinion, the right way. He mostly wrote excellent, but sometimes he wrote very good, which meant for me that was a disaster, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like getting an A- minus. Exactly. When you're the 4.0 student. I like that. I like that uh, that idea in, in in trumpet approach. It's good, but it can always be better. You know. Mm. Okay. So you mostly excellence, and every now and then he would just throw in a. You're not all that. Yeah, but you know, he did it at the right moments. Describe the right moment to do something like that. Well, you know, if before a competition, you know, I was already doing competitions at a very young age. So he, he, of course, he'd motivate me, and then a few weeks before, he'd say, "Well." Mm, if you want to be really excellent, you're going to have to, you know, have to go one gear higher. So mm. he, he, he 
put me a, a little less good. But that was not the only memory I have from, from these lessons. I was always also playing soccer at that time. I remember one time coming to the lesson um, and I was always always a dreamer, complete dreamer. So I came to the lesson with my football shoes, with my soccer shoes and my mm-hmm. soccer clothes and the trumpet sit at home. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That was just me being <laughs> being silly. So just, you didn't just, you, you, you didn't get an excellent for that lesson, did you? Nope. Nope. No. I also once came with my trumpet case without the trumpet inside. Remember that? <laughs> I was always forgetting something. <laughs> yeah, well, that was fu- that was a fun time, really. Well, you seem to have overcome those inadequacies, those insufficients in your little book to become uh, somewhat uh, proficient on the trumpet, haven't you? Yeah, I guess so. But I'm, I'm, I still um, allow myself and my students mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think uh, true mu- music comes at that point where you really go into the risk and where you go in, where you try to find that moment where you can really move uh, and that's where it all makes sense and then you're of course also taking the risk that it's not perfect how would you describe taking a risk on the trumpet on trumpet yeah boy oh, there's uh, there's so many moments in all kinds of ways especially dynamically I'd say, you know, mm. you can play second movement Haydn, okay. softish. You know, you can you can sell the illusion that you're playing softish. But you can really find that sound where you where you speak, you know, where it it becomes fragile. Where where it becomes fragile and then there's more automatically there's more emotion inside in in my opinion. Not that's just one 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 idea, right? I mean, there's so many so many examples in music in musical parts. If you uh, take uh, the opening phrase of the Inesco Legend, for example, of course uh, we can breathe. <laughs> in the beginning, but we can also play the very first phrase to the breath mark in the second line. <laughs> Only breathe there for the first time. And then this opening becomes a Parsifal, Wagnerian, very long, romantic phrase. Mm. Um, that's a risk. If you feel your heartbeat going duk, 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 duk at the beginning of a concert, uh, I'd say it's a risk not breathing. There's so many places where you can do that. It it seems to me that that there's ways to train your breath so that uh, to get through that first phrase of the legend would be, you know, it's not going to feel like a risk if if you're trained properly. Yeah, it doesn't feel anymore. But in the beginning, when you start with that, you're not used to, you know, we're always used, we, we only use a part of our lungs. We don't really fully breathe out all the time when we play and, and also don't fully breathe in, but, and using something that we don't know in the beginning and the unknown means is connected to fear. It's connected mm. to insecurity. So yeah. you have to first get, right. yeah, but there's so many ways, as you say, I mean, you can go swimming, you can do yoga, you can do Wim Hof breathing, you can do 1000 different things. Yeah. What's worked and, best for you? Uh, actually variety is my spice. I would say yes. I've, I've done yes. when I was still in the orchestra, 
uh, in Hamburg, I went to yoga, uh, the ashram, two times a week, and I did uh, an hour, 15 minutes yoga every single day for, let's say, seven years, something like that. And I can really say every day. I mean, if I do something, I try to do it right. Um, and that helped me so much for breath mm. control, uh, chest expanding. It's actually also, okay. in, especially in the orchestra, if you want to play with a larger sound, uh, mixing or blending in, um, then that helped me a lot, I must say. Mm -hmm. And then I did uh, another program in Hungary for a while. Now I'm doing since two years Wim Hof breathing and the cold showers. When you're doing this meditation back in Hamburg, and we can talk about that later, was the motive only to be a better trumpet player? Or yes. was, did, did you have, yes. it was? It's a very interesting question, but it, but that has always been my drive. Um, I mean, I remember doing my trial year um, and you come, you know, you, you are a student. Of, I've played with the Mahler Youth Orchestra and, and, and with high thinking, these kind of things, but it's not the same. Then you come in this professional orchestra, you have to play Mahler 5 uh, live on television as sort of your first service. <laughs> and you have to, I mean, nobody, you cannot learn that in school. I mean, you can practice with the best of teachers, but mm -hmm. still that's something you have to experience. And then you try to find ways. And that was really, that came out of that. And of course, I can say I've been looking for the light and but and all that stuff. And of course, I, I want to be a better man and um, better person. But yeah, the trumpet has been my drive. I want to be a better teacher. I want to be a better trumpet player. I want to, yeah. Mm. Well, the, the reason I ask is because me personally, trumpet is not, what I do exclusively, like I do podcasts and I would do breathing exercises and all this because, and, and my motive was to be a better trumpet player, but in hindsight, I, it made me a better person. And for me, and this is just me personally, I'm, and this, this is just my take, but if I were to do something like a Wim Hof protocol, yes, it would make me a, a better trumpet player, but, it, but my motive would not be to be a better trumpet player, it would be a, to be a better person. Uh, that, and that's just me. That's just my take on. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, maybe it's not. It's a bit too short uh, said. Better probably, but yeah, it, it has been always my goal to get everything out of me what's in there. I mean, being a better trumpet player can also mean um, becoming a better teacher or through meditation, through yoga, seeing things in body postures by at students. Or now I'm I'm doing more and more. Um, uh, leading and uh, conducting ensembles and then also you you see you, you start to learn to see how the, a person is standing and acting you sort of learn you 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 more quickly learn how to deal with every single person that also is a part of that i think through meditation through these kind of exercises with yoga uh, for example, if somebody has an easy idea, if somebody has his chest very high up, mostly he's going to be a very confident or at the outside, very confident person, maybe even a bit towards the arrogant. If somebody's the opposite, shoulders forward, chest in, it's more 
to the other side, you know, more sad, more depressed, more more extrovert. It doesn't only mean depressed, but more introvert, I mean. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in this way, that's a very short uh, description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah you know, I understand, I understand. But yeah, becoming a better person, I guess. And and I wasn't I wasn't trying to like counter you or say that my answer is no, better. No, no, no. But I am the host, and my answer is better. <laughs> I would never say something. Yeruan said that if I if we had waited another half hour to start this Zoom call, that he would have had a glass of champagne, and this interview would be going very differently than it is now. Well, actually, when you wrote me that the works uh, are finished. Um, I was at a liquor stop, I mean, in shop, but I mean, it's a special liquor shop. They have uh, about a hundred different kinds of whiskey and champagne, also Crémant, Crémant, La Mode de Champagne. It's, it's in the guys working there, the ladies and, and the men working there, they know so much about it. So it's just a pleasure to be there and to, mm. to get the... It's just, it's a shame. It's so expensive because you, <laughs> I always come home with a lot of stuff, but not it's expensive for a reason. Yeah. Just like yeah. fine art. It's very rare. Exactly. But it doesn't sound like an, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you're saying because it's, it's, it doesn't matter what field or what craft it is to be around a master of something like uh, someone yeah. who's just, it, it's inspiring, whether it's music or whiskey or whatever you, you just somebody who loves his job no yeah yeah that's just inspiring to be around someone who knows their job and just loves it it's just exactly. i love exactly. it when did you fall in love with the trumpet because i know that when you're a kid you're getting these excellence from your teacher I, what were you nine ten years old when you're doing your competitions yeah i did we have these, these original competitions when when you're very small there's, of course, my father brought this instrument home. That was the first thing, and and I was interested from the very first moment. But of course, that's not going to change here. But I must say, I think I was um, nine years old when I for the first time when I said I want to become a musician, and that's straight after listening uh, a concert from Philip the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble in Kerkrade in Holland. You know, that's where you have these four years, uh, big competitions, uh, wind band, brass, and they play the concert there. And and actually, the thing I, I, I visualized most from that evening was uh, Fletcher, the tuba player, playing Flight of the Bumblebee in front of the... Uh, he sat down on stage just on, on the floor <laughs> from them. I, was, I remember as a, as a child, I was fascinated by that. And um, yeah, that was the first time that I really was, that was clear for me. This is what I want to do. And then, of course, um, the Canadian brass came right with that, actually. I mean, my, my, being, my father being in a wind band, that was the music he'd bring home, right? Um, Philip Jones Ensemble in Europe and Canadian brass in the States. That was the two mm -hmm. ensembles that we had. Mm -hmm. And then the soloists came up, and at that time, first of all, it was Håkon Hardenberger and uh, Winter Marsalis. And then later on, Reinhold Friedrich came um, okay. along with that. But that was a bit later because his his records were not so um, known in Belgium, more in Germany. Mm. But I w it was more music, actually, I was in love with, and, and stage. Stage music, we had these children choirs and... and 
I just wanted to be on the stage and, and, and sing or play. I had an a cappella band, a pop band, a rock band, all these kind of thing, things, you know. I just wanted to make music. What I was asking is, like, it's it's one thing to fall in love with something when you're nine years old. But when you're, let's say, I don't know, 19, 25, 29 years old, and you've lived a little bit, how have you maintained the love for music and performing as you've grown up and experienced some of the hardships and the hard knocks of life? It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, question, uh, especially in this period, right? Yes. I think it's Definitely. hard. It's hard in this period for many uh, people. Well, I mean, I must say this morning um, I got up at 7.30, did my Wim Hof routine, had my cold shower, and then I warmed up together with the 17-year-old uh, Russian student who is an amazing talent. He didn't. I didn't teach him. We just, warm, we just warmed up together online. So we did um, 20 minutes of Long Tone Shikovitz and the whole first volume of Charles Collins. So that's an hour and 20 minutes with some breaks. That's how I started my day. And then afterwards, the day starts with coffee and all that. And now, I mean, a lot of concerts are, are canceled. But I need one goal always. And then it just keeps me going. Now it's, I mean, I have more concerts until April. But then in April, I'm doing a concert where I play Michael Haydn plus Haka Gruber mob pieces. And knowing that I have that in April, that's my, that's my drive. So just something that challenges you is... Yeah, all, I yeah. always need that challenge. I mean, that's what keeps me going, but I don't know. I mean, what will we do all day long otherwise? I'd be so bored if I wouldn't play the trumpet. How has this year been for you, 2020? Because we're right at the end of 2020. Well, I mean, touching wood, I've, I've been really lucky, I would say, because, I mean, first of all, in Europe, you have so much social security... Okay. Or, I mean, financial security, um, we, we didn't have orchestras that just closed down. And, I mean, even if, if, if people, I'm a professor at the university, so also we just kept on going online. Yeah. And in terms of concerts, um, just like everywhere, from March until August, everything was canceled. And then... I was actually really lucky. Um, every month, September, October, November, December, I've been traveling and doing quite a bit of concerts. Touching wood. Uh, luckily, I had concerts in Sweden where there was no lockdown in that time. In September, there was no lockdown in Germany. I had a concert there. So I could go to England, uh, to London at the time. There was no, it was really just luck. Um, but I've been actually, I've been from the moment this thing started, I've been just looking for opportunities where to find a place. And um, since it was very clear um, in Europe that um, smaller groups were going to be allowed to play always, mm -hmm. um, I started together with my management in Berlin, I started to uh, contact uh, orchestras and, and, and ensembles to do some more work with brass sections. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of work with, uh, well, conducting concerts, playing, leading concerts with brass sections of orchestras. Because most orchestras in, in, in Germany, they just went back to Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn. Okay. Uh, because of the smaller setting. Yes, yes. So trombones, double, um, tuba, 
almost no horns, um, yeah. no trumpets, or almost no trumpets. Right. So they had much less work. So that's where I just started to write and, and contact with my management all these orchestras. And then mm -hmm. a lot came out of that, actually. And I love that work. I'd like to come back to your question, why meditate and why do this, you know? I find that moment in the morning so helpful to sit down and let your subconscious mind work on the important things you know they'll come out if you give them a place and then things pop up mm -hmm. things that are in your subconscious mind to become more conscious and you start to see these things more clear where your path is going so maybe it means the same thing looking to become a better person or looking to become a better musician uh, sort of you see where your path is going maybe more in that way well very well said uh, I, I would like to discuss if it's okay with you uh, an album that you and it's it looks like um, a brass ensemble and I don't have it in front of me you'll have to forgive me um, inadequate uh, give me an insufficient preparation for this interview in the little book that's fine but uh, the, the one of the signals from heaven yes and the one, I think the YouTube that I found was the Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Yes, exactly. And it turns out you actually have a very lovely singing voice. Well, it's something, I, it's not, like I said, I used to have this a cappella band and uh, mm. mm -hmm. and I did study jazz singing. It's been, never been my main thing, but what has been really important for me is that I remember once reading a book by uh, Sting, he was writing about um, that there was a period in life where you just had two kinds of music. You had serious music and entertainment music. You know, people would talk and be able to talk about the same thing. Um, and people come together for this. And then life changed so much that you have so much diversity in music. And then it becomes like that, that you have people that only go to classical concerts like this. Sure. I don't sure. like jazz. I don't like chanson. I don't like... And then you have the opposite. Yeah, okay. I don't like classical music. Mostly, these people don't even know the other styles, which they're saying they don't like. All right. <laughs> so that that's where these ideas came up to connect different styles. So that's where I connect Jacques Brel with Jean-Philippe Rameau, or these spirituals with Gabrielli music, things like that. But that's the idea. The goal of it is to spread the idea that there is no shouldn't be like that. that mm -hmm go to Gabriele because I love Gabriele and I hate all the rest, you know? <laughs> it's like those horses with blinders. That's all they could see is just... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, just the Gabriele or... But that's the origin of, of, of these concept ideas.
musicianship is off the charts. And I was just wondering if you could give a little insight as to how you how you're able to recruit such fine talent and then bringing it all together to sound just just like it does on the album. It's just really well, fine. Well, this is it's a bit different than than me recruiting in this case because okay. that ensemble already existed. Yeah. It came out of I believe a part of the young young German uh, youth orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I mean Funny enough, then, or it's a coincidence of not of the uh, five trumpet players involved in the ensemble. Four of them, ha- four of them have been or are my students. Uh, only one, um, the solo trumpet of the Gewandhaus. Now he was only Reinhold's student, but Reinhold Friedrich uh, and me, I'd say, we come from the same family because he was my teacher. So it it has the same musical idea, definitely. So, I mean, for me, this was like being at home and working with my own friends and students. And by the way, they just recorded a new CD. Oh, really? Called Roots, which I think is absolutely fabulous. Wow. Because they they do expand the repertoire. They just they don't only play the arrangements like most ensembles do. They found repertoire which has not been recorded yet, which mm-hmm. is lovely. Um, and they combine that with new arrangements. Really, top top of my of my preferred brass ensemble list. So I didn't recruit them, uh, and the idea that combination with with Gabrielli, um that was already it started ten years before that of the Schleswig Holstein Music Festival. Mm. Was it their idea, and then they did they sort of recruit you to yeah, be part of it? Or? Oh, they yeah, have. I mean, they knew this idea because I've been doing that a lot of different oh, okay. festivals with okay. different ensembles. And, and of course, to do it with an ensemble like that, it's heaven, you know? I mean... Well, they're just so... They're so good. They're amazing. But you're, you're talking about the cream of the nowadays new German... Like I say, um, Gewand, this, this is... All the positions in this ensemble is Gewandhaus Leipzig... Um, opera um, Hamburg, two positions, um, opera Cologne, um, Bavarian radio, solo trombone. Um, it's, it's like the whole, the whole line through. Mm. And they're all friends, you know, they're all friends. It's, it's mm. amazing atmosphere. Mm. I really hope they keep on going forever. This is, this is What's the name of that ensemble again? Dalaputia Bras. You, got, you have a lot of words that I can't pronounce, man. Yeah, brass. <laughs> Dumb it down for us Americans. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, they have a bit of a complicated that name. That name existed. They they just made some had, had a fun night, I guess, and then that name popped out, and they never changed it, and never they just kept it. So, all right, they, well, they don't care so much about that. They care about the music, and I right. love that idea. Actually. Well, I have to do a little research so I can get the spelling. But the the new the album you did three years ago is what? Signals from Heaven. Signals from Heaven, and their new one is Roots. Roots, yeah. Roots. It's a British CD with the um, where they have Beatles and Bond, of course, on it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to track all this stuff down, and if you are listening and you want to uh, check this out, it's um, trumpetdynamics.com. Just look for the episode with Jeroen Bervarts, and... There'll be a show notes page, and you can find all of the stuff that we're talking about. So, soloist versus 
playing in an orchestra? Which do you prefer and why? Well, I mean, I did the playing um, for, let's say, for 10 years for real. And then I, I did only like 80 days a year in the last few years. In Germany, in Germany, still, when you have a position with a, a, a big radio orchestra or something like that, you play 50% of the time. It's very different than in the States. But that means that you play two weeks and you're two weeks off. And in these two weeks that you're off, you can do all kinds of different things. You can go play solo or whatever you want. So in Germany, you don't have that full-time, all-the-time thing, you know? Um, so there's a bit more diversity or variety. You, you're very well able to have, like all these guys in Salaputia Bras, they have major positions, but they're able to have this ensemble going and do a fair amount of, of concerts uh, every year. Oh, good question. I mean, I love music, and I, I'd love to be able to do everything. But since I love variety and, and I love the change, I, I decided at some points now now I want to do something else. So that's where where I, I, I stopped the orchestra. I love in the orchestra, I love the, the power of the, of the mutual, the whole thing, you know, that this, this, this flying, the, the, the whole power thing, that everything becomes so strong. But in, as a soloist, I love the, the freedom. I love the, the idea that you can, you can have your concepts. Uh, I mean, I make a lot of programs now with brass ensembles and you look for repertoire. I mean, there is so much more artistic freedom in that, which I then do prefer, uh, prefer at the end. I'd be locked in if I, but of course, to play a Mala Five or a Petrushka with a major top orchestra, I mean, it's absolutely fun, I would say. <laughs> but don't forget the teaching. And I think the teaching is uh, also incredibly rich and, and demanding, um, mm. both psychology or like as a personal and, and, and on your instrument. Yeah, diversity, variety is the spice, I would say. That's a common theme that we keep uh, coming across in our conversation is variety. Mm. So I, I, it sounds to me like it's kind of hard to say one is better than the other. Well, I can say that for me now, it's better to, to be a soloist and to be not attached in a fixed position in the orchestra. Oh, but, okay. Okay. but, but um, I have the highest respect for somebody who sits for years in a top orchestra. But I feel more free and, and, and I feel better in front of the stage than in the back. Was it always like that? Like when you're in your when you're first beginning, would you have been a little bit uh, scared to, or a little bit frightened to go out and be a full time soloist like you are now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. I think also there um, the yoga and the meditation helped mm. a lot to give me that confidence. How does yoga give you confidence to pursue something like that? Well, confidence, I think, is also connected with, with connected with state of mind and mm. with how you shine to the outside world. Okay. If you start the day with uh, ten or twenty sun salutation, how do you say that? Katupranan sun salutation. It's a it's a it's a follow off of, of of ten different exercises which you you do over and over and over again, and it heats you up and it brings you to a very straight and very proud body pose and i do think if you do that and then go out you're acting a little bit more confident than okay. if you just get out of bed you get your coffee and you go out out of the house like that i think 
Well, it's you. You would have more intention with what, whatever you're doing. You're just going to be more intentional with it, rather than if you just get up yeah, and you're yeah. aware. Yeah, awareness. I okay, guess. more aware. Yeah, that's a good word. I'm just you're you're just more aware of yourself. Uh, would you say you're more aware of like your contributions to the world around you? Or I, I I don't know exactly how the best way to put that. I just feel better if I do these things. So if you feel better and you're in a in a more content mode uh, that's what you shine out to other people is this like you do if you do one yoga session are you going to instantaneously feel like superman or is it more of a process no i think it's the consistency but that's just like practicing the trumpet right yes but i felt for me that it's better to do 1 hour yoga and then practice 1 hour less than to do no yoga and practice 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 so it's better to do sacrifice an hour of trumpet playing in favor of an hour of yoga. For me, that has been um, good. Do you play like three or four hours a day? Um, now, at this stage, I'd say I would do two and a half to three hours a day. Really? But I don't have, no, I don't have any concerts now. So, right. I mean, <laughs> this is this is my... my cool down period or how do you say that <laughs> so when you're cooled down you're playing two and a half three hours a day just for fun wow but i mean i must tell you a story okay the, i mean this is i got this student that is a solo trumpet of a major opera house he played tomasi for me in september and it wasn't really good so i we just worked and did our thing and then he went home again and he came back 10 days later and he played the first movement in a way that I was unable to stop him. He started that and it was clear he was going to finish it and nail it. It was clear from the very first note that he started. So I asked him, so was that a lot of practice or what did he do? No, he didn't practice one note on the Tomasi, he said. As in, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and he's serious. And then he told me, in his whole trial year, he didn't practice one note on his instrument, but he meditated seven hours a day. He lived his instrument through meditation. Hmm. So that, I mean, I believe him to 100%. That means if your awareness is to this on this high level, and you have to transpose in the opera something uh, in E or something like that, which is pretty nasty, I find. Mm -hmm. Then really fast excerpts become really slow in your mind because you have all time, all the time of the world in your inner voice. Crazy. But seriously, he didn't practice one note of that piece. Did you say that he didn't play just the piece or he didn't play his horn for 10 days? No, no, he didn't play the piece. Okay, he so he horn, but but he's not a big practicer. Well, okay, got it. So you can practice with your mind uh, this piece because all the connections that are written in Tomas, <laughs> you've you've practiced them one time in your life, right? Sure, they're all possible. So this this little yoga thing, what I'm doing, I feel like an absolute amateur compared to him. Hmm. An absolute amateur. So he's meditating for seven hours a day. Well, he's living it. He's but living then I it. told him, you know, Got it. Um, 
Then he asked me, so why do you practice? I said, then it's a very simple answer, because I like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I prefer to practice my trumpet for four hours a day instead of doing that. But I, that, that little combination, I'd say it's not a bad thing. So playing definitely brings you joy. Oh, yeah, I must say. Yeah, really, yeah. really. That moment also that, you know, I start the day singing my note first. The whole thing, the whole warm-up routine is a meditation. Mm. So I come into the sing, air, play world where it has, it's like a perpetuum. It, does, it never stops. It's like a meditation. And then I go down for a coffee and I continue. Ah, oh, I love it, really. That's a beautiful life, man. Wow. <laughs> no, it's it, it, because cause, cause a lot of musicians, they get to a point where it's just it's drudgery. To do to do what they do, and I don't know if they're just stuck in a rut or they're they're just um, I don't know maybe they they do too much of it, but they just don't enjoy it the way you know like they did twenty years ago. And now you're what forty four, forty five years old, 45. yeah, 45. and it's just pure joy for you. It is, yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm lucky, but that's why I think. That's why for me variety is so important. Mm. You know, now it's canceled. But it the first week of January, I was supposed to go to the Royal Academy in London mm-hmm. uh, to conduct uh, Stravinsky Octet and Rautavara Octet, and teach all the students and do basic warm-up sections session, sessions with him. That's like a, a fantastic, perfect week for me to do all these all these different things. You know. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunately that's now not possible because uh, yeah, England has this new mutation of the virus, and <laughs> we need quarantine time for that. So I'm just gonna do online work. <laughs> yeah, everybody's doing online work these days. It makes yeah. me wonder what is going to be deemed like non-essential that we thought like a year ago we thought we can't live without this, but now that we've lived without it for a year. Or ten months or whatever it's been, maybe, maybe we don't need. Maybe we don't need it anymore. I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of teaching, <clears throat> from September I've been teaching live. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've not been online teaching. There's only been one online session which I did for London. Um, all my students in Hanover and in London, I've done them live, um, and I think if you're really teaching on a super high level, um students um, then we are working on on the last five percent of their game you know yeah right, and right. no matter what equipment no matter what i need to see that person of course mm. you can do things online and of course if everybody who is now working only online is going to say you can do on- I mean, of course no question there's no replacement for live teaching or performance yeah, and sharing I mean, love as well, sharing emotion, mm, sharing mm. love to your students. Yeah, you just can't, you just can't replicate it. No, it's you not can mimic it to a certain degree. You can mimic it so your students don't feel lonely, mm. that they feel taken care of. But yeah, everybody. You know, knows. Yeah, my boy, my my six year old son, he's been in um, virtual classes his entire school year. And so he hasn't even been around his his own classmates. He only knows that he like sees their faces on a screen, and that's it. 
but has he had other contact people around? Or? Very little, unfortunately. We're going to see how much impact that's that's going to have, especially on these young young ages mm. of also developing babies, seeing these people with yeah. masks all the time, not seeing these expressions on these faces, and in that learning process, so much still which we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And it's not the end. I mean, not now that we're starting to vaccinate, it's not going to be over yet. It's not yet. Be... Hopefully, hopefully we see the light at the end of the tunnel with, yeah. uh, with, with things being as they are. Well, Jeroen, better of arts. James. Can you believe we've been going for 50 minutes already? Oh, no, it's, it's a, it's a very short, how do you say? Uh, kurzweilig oh, in German. Kurzweilig. Throw uh, another word at me I can't pronounce. Thanks. Yeah. I don't even know what it means in English. Sorry. Let's just keep it in German there. Kurzweilig. Right. Okay, we like it. Well, um, this has been... I'm so glad that we hooked up. I, I appreciate you agreeing to be interviewed and allowing me to pick your brain a little bit. And the reason... I don't, I don't make any money doing these podcasts... And Me I neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I feel better. Or maybe you feel better. It's for a good cause. Yeah, but the reason that I do it personally is because I just need that motivation to get get my face out of my computer screen and get that horn on my face. And um you have given me a lot to think about. Oh, I feel that we I feel that we just started. I'd love to go on for much longer, but then the champagne is going to be too cold. <laughs> no, and it's it's like it's like there's you know when you start to talk, there's mm -hmm. little topics that you touch that one of course can go much deeper. But yeah, right. it's fun. It's you know, I'm gonna. Be, I don't know if this would work out, but do you ever get to Asia? Yeah, I mean, normally I go there two, three times a year. Yeah, normally. But, uh, since actually three days ago, my March Japan tour was officially canceled. But yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because I'm going to Vietnam in two weeks. I'm going to live there for probably the better part of 2021. And wow, that's my wife lives there. And then we're getting a, we're going through the process of getting her a visa to come to the U.S. and live here. Well, this is a place I always wanted to go. It's like a, still a, a bit of a secret. Um... It's it's kind of a hidden gem because, especially here in the U.S., because the Vietnam's got kind of a stigma because of the yeah, war no that way. the war that was fought sixty years ago. So there's definitely a little bit of a stigma with it, but um, it is a it is a hidden gem, and they are really up and coming. They have some fine fine musicians. Maybe we can get you out there. I don't know. That would be fantastic. I'd come for the food, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, they have yeah, food. lovely food, wonderful food. Well, we have to do. We had to definitely have to do a round two, whether it's in Vietnam or on Zoom. So uh, you're leaving in two weeks, right? Two weeks from yesterday. So this is oh, wow. we're recording on the 30th of December, so the 12th of January. Unless things change, it's always a little bit fluid with the COVID. Yeah. But. Um, that's oh, the, I wish you all the best there. It's going to be it's exciting, right? It is exciting. It is exciting and it'd be sad to leave my my child here for however long I'm I'm over there, but um you know, my woman is over there. So <laughs> a lot of good things to come. All the best, James. Yes, sir. We will be in touch and definitely let's do this again. 
Great. All right. Enjoy your day. Trumpet Dynamics is produced by Beaten Path Media, LLC. Special thanks to Mike Vax for allowing use of Serenade to a Bus Seat for the show's theme music. To stay in the loop with the growing community of trumpeters who enjoy this podcast, just type trumpetdynamics.com in your browser, and you're off to the races. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>